0: And thank you, Evan and guys, for leading us today. We appreciate it. Well, today is going to be a sprint to the finish line. We've got a lot of ground cover and short distance, so we're going to sprint because we've got some good things to do at the end of our worship time. So let's find our place in Mark chapter number 12. Pick up right where we left off last week in verse number 28. And I'm going to read through verse number 34. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Beginning in verse 28, God's Word says, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. And recognizing that He had answered them well, asked Him, What commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to... Love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Well, I want to speak to you today on the subject of evangelism with Jesus. Now there's a lot of folk who have a lot to say about evangelism and most of us are scared to death of it. I mean just the very prospect of sitting with someone and telling them what God has done in your life and what God can and will do in their life is uh, somewhat of a terrifying thought for most believers. But if we're going to learn anything about evangelism, I think we need to look to one who is not only the preacher but one who is also the subject of evangelism, and that is Jesus Christ. So if we were going to have an evangelism conference at Grace Church, guess who I would go to? I would go to Jesus. And let's look at how Jesus effectively shared the good news. So let's look at these verses today under this this subject, and that is evangelism with Jesus. Let's jump right in and let me show you what I see in this passage of Scripture. Evangelism with Jesus commences with a simple conversation in a public place. I mean think where he's been for the past three weeks, at least our three weeks. For him it was all one afternoon. It was the last, last week of his life, probably Wednesday or Thursday of the Passion Week. And the, the Pharisees and the Herodians had been shooting at him. They took their best shot. The Sadducees took their best shot. and now. Today he's interacting with a scribe. So they're probably in the temple precinct in the courtyard somewhere. They're very much out in the open where all of this exchange is taking place. So they're in a public place. And notice what happens now with this scribe. This scribe simply heard their interaction. Did you see that? Check out with me again just in case you didn't in verse number 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. Do you see that? This scribe wasn't a part of the conversation. He wasn't involved in it, but yet he was close enough that he could hear what they were talking about. And there was something in that conversation that sparked that old guy's interest and he stood up and wanted to go a little bit farther than what the Sadducees and what the Pharisees did. Now get me here. This is so cool because can I tell you some of the most effective evangelism that I have been a part of in my life didn't happen between me, the sharer, and the recipient, the person whom I was sharing with. You know who it happened with? With people who were sitting around who were just listening. And can I say to you it's the same way with us on the mission field. I wish Dane was here today because Dane will tell you what I taught him to pay attention to when we gather in a Quilombola village at night under a, under a mango tree somewhere in the jungles of northeastern Brazil to tell a Bible story. We'll gather up and, and there will be as many folk as you can that will huddle around under the meager lighting that we have. But the ones who are really our focus are those men who will come up and they'll stay on the periphery. They they, they think they're just far enough where we can't see them but yet they're close enough to where they can hear and they'll lean up like this on a fence post and they'll just be sitting out there listening and taking it. Don't want anybody to know but they are. And can I tell you normally that's where God works. God saves those people who are out there on the periphery just listening in to a conversation that we are having with more people who are up close. And it's so cool. And we've picked up on that and we've learned now to kind of pay attention and be cognizant of who it is that's coming up and just hanging around on the periphery, who it is that's just sitting on the fence post. Maybe some fence post sitters here today that have never really committed their life one way or another to the gospel or to Jesus Christ. You've just been kind of hanging around listening to me talk and maybe it's time for you to come off the fence post and join in the conversation with Jesus. Hey, here's just a thought. You know what what I'd like to see us do? I mean, we have entire semesters of grace group. I'd like to see our grace groups plan maybe one night a semester where you didn't meet in somebody's house but where you met in a public place somewhere to talk about God's Word. What would happen if our grace groups began to meet in places like M&W's and where we just talked publicly And those people who are sitting in tables next to us may pick up on what was going on. Oh, I've told you about my buddy who had an accountability group that met at a local bar. And he was a pastor of a pretty significant church and he was scared to death to that bar. Man, if my deacons find out I'm even parked in a parking lot down here, I'm done. And here he goes in that place and he has this accountability meeting with these rough guys who've come to the Lord lately and they have dinner. And he said... He's standing one Sunday morning preaching and he said he gave the invitation to this big old burly guy. He said as soon as I stopped preaching and began to give the response time to the sermon, this big old burly guy come down and he said he was coming at me pretty hard and I didn't know whether i to run or whether i to hide under a pew or what. He said and this guy came down and just wrapped me up in a bear hug. And he said he whispered in my ear, he said you don't know me do you? And my friend said I was pretty uncomfortable to be honest with you. And I didn't know what else to say Beyond said no sir I don't know you. He said, well, let me tell you, I was sitting in the booth behind y'all this week and I heard your conversation and I realized that's exactly what I need in my life. A simple conversation in a public place. Hey, just stop and think about that, grace groups. Where could we go to get outside of the the four walls of our homes and, and our churches and our grace group meeting places and get on a public platform where we can just get out and have a simple conversation in a public place, no telling who around us is listening. So this guy heard the interaction, and I can't help it. I laughed when I wrote it. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Not only did he hear the interaction, but he had an interrogative. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Y'all might not think so, but you know, I'm I'm a word geek. I just am. And I tell Heather this all the time. In case you don't know what an interrogative is, what is an interrogative, somebody? One of my students, lay it out there for me. What is it? Is a what? Is a question. Yeah, that's all it is. So Heather Allen, I tell you, I, I drive her crazy with stuff like this because I, I never ask her a question. I always say I have an interrogative. So anyway, I guess it's just a private joke. Y'all didn't get it. But I just laughed when I wrote that. I said, this is hilarious. So here's how I get a chance to use a big word. He had an interrogative. Hey, You might want to scratch it out and just say he had a question. Now here's the deal. He heard Jesus answer these other guys. And the Bible says he heard them, him answer them well. And based on that, he had a question. He had a burning question that had probably been in his heart and his mind for a long time, but he knew he couldn't ask anybody because nobody would even understand the question, let alone be able to postulate an answer. You ever felt like that? You ever been there? where well, you just knew that you couldn't talk to anybody about it. Because there are very few people, if any, who would even understand my position where I am. There are very few people who would even understand this question. So how can they give me a good answer? And boy, I've been there before. I've asked folks questions before and they've given me answers. And I thought, yeah, you didn't understand the question, bud. (laughs) Because your answer and my question don't connect anywhere. And that's where this guy was. He had a question and his question was... Which of the commandments has priority? The word in the the original is not what is the greatest, but the word means which one is first in order of priority and importance. Because he had come to some conclusions about all these commandments. You see, the the scribes and the Pharisees, they had identified over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. So naturally it begs the question, if there's over 600, there's got to be an order. There's got to be some ranking of these things. They can't be of all equal weight and equal value. So which one is the most important? So evangelism with Jesus, it commences with a simple conversation in a public place. Number next, evangelism with Jesus continues with a concise answer to a perplexing problem. Now I would say it was perplexing. Over 600 commandments... There were 365 of them that were negative. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And the balance of them were positive. Do this, do this, do this. And they had categorized them. Uh, Some of them were heavy, some of them were light. Some of them were ceremonial, some of them were moral. Some of them were ritual and some of them were ethical. But the bottom line, they're all in the mix. And this guy has a question that he needs answered and that is which one of these has priority? So Jesus gives him a concise answer to a perplexing problem. Which one is the greatest or excuse me, which one is the foremost? Which one stands out in front? And here's what Jesus said. His answer is classic. He said the foremost is, here, old Israel, and you know this passage, it's the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I don't want to get into psychoanalysis of each one of these, uh, 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 each one of these constituent parts of the human being. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think He's given a concise answer, and I think He's simply saying this. Love God with all that you have with all that you have. And yes, that involves your mind. Man, I love it when folk engage intellectually with God. I love it. Hear me, God's not afraid of any questions. God's not got an Achilles heel somewhere that He's afraid that an atheistic professor at the University of Florida is going to find. He doesn't. He's not afraid of intellectual investigation. And I love it when folk just get down and get intellectual with God and His Word. I think we're commanded to do that. That's loving God with your mind. But we're also to love Him with our heart. That's that's the feeling part of us, the emotion part of us. We're commanded to love Him with our strength and with our soul. But the bottom line is this, we're to love God with all that we have. Every part of us is to be directed, Toward the love of God. Now you know, that's a real churchy answer, isn't it? And I've heard that answer all my life. But how do you know if you're really loving God? How do you know it? Because I found that's a question that just like the other question. You can hit the streets of Bonifay this morning and do some superficial evangelism. Hey, are you saved? And I guarantee you, you won't meet a person that won't tell you they're not saved simply because they live in the Bible Belt and they've adapted some type of cultural form of Christianity. And it's the same way with loving God. Do you love God? Oh, yeah, I love God. Yeah, I love, love, love me some Lord now. Love Him. (laughs) But what does that mean? How do you know? How How can you answer that question in your heart? Do I really love God the way Jesus said I ought to love him. Well here's some questions or here's some, here's some, here's some ways you can know. I, I felt I'd be amiss if I didn't in, include this because that's the heart of what he's talking about. Number one, if you love God, get this, there is pleasure in your relationship. Are you with me? You see we take this word agape, which is the word translated here for love so many times and we turn that word into this. Bless God, I'm going to like this even if it kills me. Huh? I mean, that's the way we look at it. Forcing ourselves to do something that we otherwise wouldn't do. And can I say to you that that is not the heart of this word? You see, at the very heart of love, there's this issue of pleasure that's involved. For instance, any other thing in life that you say you love, you love it because of pleasure. The pleasure that you get. There's some type of gratification in it. Are you with me? When I tell you that I love Heather Allen, you don't have to force me to do that. I love to love Heather Allen. There's pleasure in that relationship with me. You don't have to force me to go home at night. You don't have to twist my arm to get me to spend time with her. I love her and there's pleasure in my relationship with her. So, can I ask you just a simple soul searching question? Do you enjoy God? I mean, do you enjoy Him? Is there gratification in your relationship with the Lord? Is there pleasure? Do you find pleasure in the things of God? Do you find pleasure in God's Word? Do you enjoy God's Word? Do you find pleasure in being with God's people and worshiping Him corporately? Do you find fulfillment and satisfaction and enjoyment in all of those things? Or do you simply do it because, well, that's the thing we're supposed to do. I know i got to do it. I don't want to be there. I'd rather be on the beach today because that's what I really love, but I'm going to go to church. Hey, man, look, look. It was a Copernicus understanding for me one day because I think we all start out there in the Bible Belt to the United States, don't we? I'm here because, by golly, that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday. And if I'm going to feel good about myself, I've got to be at church on Sunday. i got to check the box or I'm going to feel guilty all week. But it was kind of like a, a, a Copernicus understanding for me when I realized one day that, hey, I'm going to church not because I have to, not because I, I'm expected to, but because that's the top of my priorities today. This is what I look forward to. This is the highlight of my week in doing what we get to do on Sunday morning. Huh? You see, if you love God, there's pleasure in your relationship. Can you check that box? Number next, if you love God like Jesus said we ought to with all that we have, not only is there pleasure in your relationship, but there's purpose in life. you know what the purpose of your life is? And there's so many folk trying to answer that question with things that they're doing. And I do believe in specific purpose. But here's the overarching purpose that God has for your life. You know what it is? That you love Him. That's what it is. It's not anything that you can do for Him. It's that you love Him. You see, watch me. God's called me to preach. But I'm not the only preacher that God's got. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, I don't even make, <laughs> I don't even make the, the the listing. Probably, I'm so insignificant. But my point is, my point is this: if I don't preach, God's got a thousand other folks that can do that. But watch me. If I don't love Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind, God doesn't have another Richie Allen to do that. So my overarching purpose in life, you know, why God has me here on this planet to love Him like this. It's to love Him. How does my preaching fit into that? I love Him through the ministry of preaching His Word. And if I don't do it, if I ever do it because that's how I earn a paycheck or because that's what I've got to do. Somebody come up and knock me over the head with a lighter or not because that's not where it's at. Hey, can you tell I just enjoy what I do sometimes? Jerry said one day, we're going to have to quit paying you, son, because you, you, uh, you enjoy this too much. <laughs> you can. You can keep what you give me. I love it. I love it. And I love it because I can love God through what God has called me to do. So here, if you love God, I'm going to tell you what you're going to have in life. You've got pleasure in your relationship with Him. Number two, you're going to have purpose in life. That is God's purpose. Here it is right here. Love God. With all that you have. You can't go to second base unless you hit first. Number next, how do you know if you love God? Pleasure in your relationship, purpose in your life. Get this, there are promises in your possession. Promises in your possession. Now stick with me on this. I've got a few scriptures that I want to pull up. Uh, Laura Lynn, pull up my first one. Romans chapter 8 verse number 28. Check this out. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who go because they have to. Because of those who are legalist. Because who are culturally inclined to be in church and act religious on Sunday morning. No, look what he says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who... Love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Again, His purpose is for us to love Him with all we have. Check this out. This promise is not given to everybody. Do you know who it's given to? Who's the addressee on there? Those who love Him. I'm not just saying, yeah, I love Him and I never do anything to verify that. I love Him and I know I love Him because there's pleasure in my relationship with Him. There's purpose in my life and I'm in possession of the promises that He gives to those who love Him. Now look here. I know we beat this verse to death. Can I say a few things about it while I'm here? Hey, this is tough stuff, you know what? You know what this verse says? This verse says that God's sovereignly in control of the circumstances in your life. And if you love Him, there's nothing that has fallen into your life by accident. Everything's been filtered through the loving hands of a gracious God. And I want to tell you, there's sometimes there's things fall in my life and I say, God, are you sure? Are you sure that you're going to use this for my good? Are you sure you're going to make all this come together for my good and for your glory? Because God, I'm not seeing it from where I am. But can I say to you, listen to me. God's not done yet. The end of the story hasn't been written. And I'm telling you, if the circumstances of my life have been filtered through the hands of a loving, gracious God, then I can trust Him with that. Because here's the bottom line. You jettison this verse, what else do you have? Huh? You take the sovereignty of God out of your life, what else do you have to to build your life on? What other foundation is there? And there is none. So hold on to it. Be in possession of this promise. No matter what's going on around you, listen to me, hold on to this. Because we have no other alternative. Check it out. There are promises in your possession. Number one, Romans 8, 28. Lynn, bring up my next one. James chapter 2 and verse number 5. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who who love Him. Do you see that? Here's another promise. And it's not just carte blanche given to everybody. And I want to be honest with you, there's a lot of people who claim promises who have no spiritual right to them. And neither do I if I don't love Him like Jesus said I ought to. Number next, Laura Lynn... I just took a spackling of these to prove my point. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How do you know if you love God? Number one, there's pleasure in your relationship, number two, there's purpose in your life, number three, there are promises in your possession. And number four, let me just say this, there's a price you willingly pay. Had a conversation with somebody the other day. Tragedy struck their family. And the mom and dad ended up having to take grown children back into their household and it was just causing all kinds of of chaos as you can imagine. But here's what the man told me. He said, none of that matters. He said, because you do what you got to do for those whom you love and I said yes sir you're exactly right you'll pay any price there's nothing that will stop you it's not well am I going to do this am I going to do that how much does it cost what am I going to have to give up what's the sacrifice there's no price that you won't pay for somebody you love am I right and it's the same way in our relationship with God just a few pointers to how you know if we're keeping what Jesus said here, that we love God with all we have. Number next, look what he said. Jesus, Jesus, Evangelism with Jesus continues with a concise answer to a perplexing problem. Number one, love God with all that you have. Number two, he said, the second one is likening unto it. He, these are foremost, love God with all you have and love neighbor as yourself. Now can I say there's a lot of folk who have jumped on this today and tried to turn it into pop psychology. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. A lot of folks say, see, you've got to love yourself because if you don't love yourself, you won't love anybody else. Can I say that you don't have have to learn how to love yourself. You come automatically, pre-programmed, predisposed to love yourself. Am I right? Paul says, for no man has ever hated his own flesh. And that's the way it is. So he's not promoting self-love here. He's just saying, hey... Why don't you give other people the same amount of priority and importance that you give to yourself and see how that works. You know, I said this morning about Grace Church, our focus and our fight is to keep us from turning inward. When a church turns inward, she's almost done. When we start worrying and taking care of our ourself and being preoccupied with us and everything revolves around us, our buildings, our budgets and all of that, friends, we're done. But if we can keep the focus on others, there's no telling what God can do through us. And can I say to you, if it's that way with the church, it's that way for individuals as well. Stop and think about this. Think about how much better you would have it if you were part of a community of faith that love neighbor like self. You know what that means? That means, how many folk are here? If you're just a selfish person, you're the only one loving yourself. Right, Ron? (laughs) But if you're a selfless person and you love others as yourself, how many folk are here today? hundred? You got a hundred people looking out for you. Are you following me? You see, that's a biblical community. How much better off would you be and I be if we got all of our attention off ourselves and put it on others and started pouring into others? I think that $1,500 check this morning is a token of what God says will happen. Don't you? Huh? Stop and think about this. The worst thing you can do is be self-absorbed. It's the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is focus on others. Let me ask you a question. How many, how, how much poor self-esteem issues did you think would be dried up if people stopped sitting around thinking about poor old pitiful me all day and started serving other people? How much depression? How much blues? How much, you name it, would go away and we'd start living like Jesus said we ought to and not focusing on ourselves. Because let me tell you where all that stuff comes from. All that stuff comes when I start focusing on self. I talked to someone the other day and this is what they told me. They said, here is my defense mechanism against implosion. Implosion. Focusing on myself. Having poor old pitiful me. Ending up in deep dark depression. Here's my defense. It's to love Him with everything I am and to serve others like I want to be served myself. And son, there's truth in that. There's truth in it. Let me stop and move on to the next one because this is what really caught my attention in this text. You don't know what struck me? We ask that question every week, don't we? What struck you? Here's what struck me. Check this out. Evangelism with Jesus commences with a simple conversation in a public place. Evangelism with Jesus continues with a concise answer to a perplexing problem. And evangelism... Culminates, and you're going to have to do some editing here because I'm sorry. I was horrified this morning. I read over this thing twice before I printed it, and I got here after I printed it, and I see an error. Write this in. It culminates in allowing people to formulate their personal position. Is that what we got up there? Look at there. Laura Lynn's so good, she knows how to edit me. Check it out. Evangelism with Jesus culminates in forcing people to bow their heads, close their eyes, and repeat this after me. Is that what I said? Evangelism with Jesus culminates not in high pressure tactics, not in manipulative schemes, but in allowing people to arrive at their own conclusions and to formulate their own personal position. How many of you have had to write a personal position paper in theology classes? Let me see your hands. You know what I'm talking about. Your personal position. You know what that means? That means your personal position isn't something that you're parroting that somebody else fed you. This is my position. So how do you arrive at that position? Look what Jesus said. I love this. Look what verse number 34 says. When Jesus saw that He had answered intelligently intelligently underline that word. There are two Greek words that are jammed together here to make that word. And it's simply the word to have and mind. And it meant this guy had a mind. He had a mind. Lo and behold, isn't that a novel idea? Here's a guy who has a mind. You ever heard somebody say, I have a good mind and just fill in the blank with whatever. Well, that's about the same sense that he's using it here. And folk, I want to tell you, listen. If we've been born again, you don't just have a mind; you have the mind of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me you can't love God intelligently. Don't tell me you can't love Him with all your mind. You've been given a pretty high IQ when you were born again. Do you know that? You were. Now look at this. Here's my question: What does intelligently mean to Jesus? Because I have a sneaking suspicion it don't have a whole lot to do with your Mensa score. It <laughs> Doesn't have a whole lot to do with IQ. And it's interesting to see how differently Jesus treats this guy as He did those others who also had questions, but they were trying to trick Him. And this guy comes with an honest and sincere question, and look what Jesus said. Verse number 34 again. And when he, Jesus saw that He'd answered intelligently, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now before we deal with that question, let's deal with this word intelligently. What does intelligence mean to Jesus? And in this context and in this Word there are three things that I want us to focus on for just a minute. Number one, it means that He is an independent thinker. An independent thinker. Do you know what that means? It simply means you're not dependent upon anybody else to give you the answers and your own conclusions. And that's what this guy was. That's why he had that question. He didn't accept the 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 run-of-the-mill answer. He didn't accept the company line that all the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes had been giving him because he was an independent thinker. And Jesus looks and says, Because you've answered intelligently, I know something about you. So you know what it means to be an independent thinker? It It means to be just that. It means that your personal position has been worked out and formulated in an intelligent, sound manner of thinking by you and not somebody else. Hey, watch me. You know what the purpose of higher education is? We do well to know this. You know what the purpose of seminary is? Here it is. The purpose of seminary, and Lord knows I've been to enough of it, The purpose of seminary is not to give all of the answers to our students. It's not. We don't take students and set them in a classroom and say, Now, here's what Baptists believe, brothers. Get this. Pass it on to your people. No, the purpose of seminary is to teach people how to think and how to think biblically. Because if you can teach somebody how to think, there's not a question that they won't be able to attack and answer and formulate their own personal position as it relates to that question. That's an independent thinker. Friend, I will tell you, there's not a lot of independent thinkers out there today. Do you know that? Hey, as it relates to cultural Christianity and the Bible Belt to the United States, people are simply parroting what people before them have popped into their head. And nobody's thought about it. Nobody's asked questions like, is this effective? Is this biblical? Where will this lead us? What are the implications to this? And can I be honest with you? I don't want to sound negative. But you go to most traditional Baptist churches and all you're going to get is the company line. You're not going to get independent thinking. And I'm going to show you why that's important in just a minute. This guy was an independent thinker. He wasn't dependent upon the scribes and the Pharisees to give him his theology. He was an independent thinker, so he come to Jesus. Check this out. Not only does being intelligent and responding intelligently mean that he's an independent thinker, but it also means to agree with Jesus. Look what the old boy did. In, in verse number um, 32, the scribe said to him, "Right, teacher. You have truly stated. You know what he did? He agreed with Jesus. Now watch me. There is nobody who's intelligent who has ever disagreed with Jesus. Are you with me? The beginning of wisdom and the beginning of intelligence is to agree with Jesus. If you disagree with Jesus, can I say to you, you are not near as smart as you think you are. And boy, I've got friends who will sit around and they will try to analyze the Word of God and say, well, is this really the Word of God or is this just a scribal interpolation? And I want to say, you idiots, this is the Word of God and stop trying to sound intelligent because intelligence begins with agreeing with Jesus Christ. You know, that's what the word confess means. It means to say the same thing as when we confess And we say the same thing as Jesus. And look, you can't grow spiritually and you won't grow mentally as long as you're in disagreement with Jesus about something in your life. You just go ahead and try to justify it in disagreement with Jesus. And you're going to stagnate. You'll stop dead in your tracks. You won't go another further. Confess means to say the same thing as Jesus. If Jesus says it's sin, then by golly it's sin. And I need to repent of it and get it out of my life. If Jesus says it's this way, then... I'm going to agree with him and say it this way. Can I just say to you that I'm going to go with Jesus every time? (laughs) I mean, that's the beginning of intelligence, huh? Number next, what does it mean to be uh, uh, be, be intelligent? It means to be an independent thinker. Number two, it means to agree with Jesus. And number three, it means he connected the dots. You see, he started connecting dots. And this is what I find so many times. Do you know that when we're in the jungle of Brazil... And when we start with people who have never heard of Jesus Christ and have never heard anything from the Bible, do you know what we do? We start in the very beginning in Genesis. And here's what all my preacher buddies say that you're supposed to do when you get to Genesis 3. You're supposed to talk about Jesus Christ and go from Genesis 3 to the cross. But you can't do that. They don't have a cross. They don't know Jesus yet. You've got to let the narrative unfold. We won't even bring up the name Jesus until we get to the New Testament. We don't even give an invitation say, now how many of you here tonight would like to be saved? But you know what we do? When we have storied all the way through and we get to Matthew chapter 27 where Jesus is on the cross and where He rises again, you know what those Quilombolas will do who never heard it before? They'll start making the connections and they'll start connecting dots and they'll say, wait a minute. This is exactly what Abraham did that we studied and heard that story two months ago when Abraham offered his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. This is it. Jesus is my sacrifice. And just all over the place they'll start connecting dots. And you know what happens then? (laughs) It's unbelievable. I get goosebumps right now just, just telling you about it. Because it's so miraculous when people start connecting dots and putting things together and they begin to understand light comes on and they're born again. Well, you know, every one of us have to do that because let me tell you what every one of us start as. Every one of us start as a product of what's been passed on to us. That's why it's so important to have somebody as a mentor who's going to pass good stuff to you, huh? Because that's where you start. You don't start out as an independent thinker. You grow into that. So every one of us started out by by just parroting the company line, what Baptists believe what the church teaches, before we formulate our own personal position. But when I started formulating my own personal position, it went something like this. It went, you know, I've got a deep problem. I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner all my life. And the Bible says I'm spiritually dead. And if I'm spiritually dead, there's nothing that I can do to get myself out of this. Somebody else has got to swoop in and get me out of this. And I began to think, if salvation is nothing more than a decision that I make, then all of Christianity is nothing more than baptized humanism. And I had to connect some dots. And I realized that Scripture doesn't teach that at all. The Scripture teaches that a man or woman or boy or girl comes under the influence of the inspired Scriptures that's applied to their heart By the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, there is a secret action that takes place that nobody can explain called regeneration where God brings a dead man to life. And when that dead man comes to life, he agrees immediately with Jesus about his sin and about his life. He places his faith in Jesus. He repents of his sin. He's transformed. He's given the mind of Christ. And by golly, he's not just close to the kingdom. He's in the kingdom with both feet. Done a belly splash off the high diving board. Huh? Look what Jesus said to this guy. Jesus said, when he saw that he answered intelligently, he said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You see, because a lot of times it's a process. Oh, I am a conversionist. I believe there's a point in time when you are born again. But sometimes it's a process. You see what I'm saying? It's a journey. Mark this. The first step toward the kingdom starts with the mind. Jesus said, He answered intelligently. That's why I wanted to spend so much time on what does it mean when Jesus says somebody answered intelligently. Because the first step toward the kingdom of God, listen to me. Listen to me, church. It doesn't start with your heart. It doesn't start with your feelings. It doesn't start with your emotions. It starts when light dawns into your darkened mind. And you begin to agree with God Almighty. It's truth that transforms. That's what does it. And Jesus said, You see, you're not far from the kingdom. Now, here's the thing it doesn't end with the mind. Are you with me? It starts with the mind, but it doesn't end there. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to him, You're not far from the kingdom. You know how far from the kingdom he was? Billy Graham says about this far. It had got in his mind. Now it's got to transform you and the core of your being in your heart. See, because the mind, we can embrace facts with the mind. But until those have seeped into the core of who we are and transformed our life, all we are is an intelligent or spiritually educated lost person. So Jesus looked at this guy and he didn't say, good answer, you're saved. Good answer, you must be born again. Good answer, welcome to the kingdom. See, it doesn't end with intelligence. I said it starts with the mind. Son, it ends in transformation and regeneration when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God from your head and puts it right here. Can I say to you, the worst thing we can do sometimes is let intelligence be a barrier to our heart. I worked with the church not long ago because you know, my main gig is not pastoring, you all know that. My main gig is the director of this mission agency where we mobilize churches to impact unreached people groups primarily in the northeast of Brazil. And I went and talked to this church and listen, they were a bunch of smart folk. They really were. They openly claimed to be a Reformed Baptist church. They carried in the fly leaf of their Bible the Westminster Confession of Faith. Everything that they did, they filtered it through the Westminster Confession of Faith. I talked to them three years ago about missions. You know what they're doing? They're still filtering it through the Westminster Confession of Faith because they're so dang smart they have what I call paralysis by analysis. And they just can't make it happen because they're so worried about dotting every theological I and every theological T. It doesn't end with intelligence. Son, it's got to be a heart thing where we agree with Jesus and say, I don't understand at all. But the Great Commission says that I am to go and take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. End of discussion. Let's go. So don't you let your intelligence or pseudo-intelligence... Keep it from going from here to here. Again, Billy Graham says, Most folk miss heaven by about that much. Jesus said to this guy, You're close to the kingdom of heaven. By golly, when you're in it, you're transformed. You're a new person. Old has passed away. All things become new. What we're about to visit here in just a minute. Evangelism with Jesus. Hey, it's a simple thing. Bottom line, I want to ask you today. Have you ever agreed with Him? Is there pleasure in your relationship with Him? Are you in possession of the promises? Is there purpose in life? If not, then let's investigate that intellectually and agree with Jesus so that we don't just stay close to the kingdom but so we can do a belly splash right in the middle of it for the glory of God. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, would you give us the courage... Would you give us the faith to simply agree with you and let our yes be yes and our no be no. I pray for those who are here today that, God, you know and they know that they're close to the kingdom, but they're not in it. And I pray, God, that through this process of independent thinking, agreeing with you and connecting dots, Lord, they're going to arrive on the very doorstep of the kingdom of heaven. And Spirit of God, would you push them in?